Hello, I am Gargi, host of Text to Task Simplifying Education. I believe that we can be inspired every day. Thank you for joining me today. For updates, follow me on Instagram at millennial underscore teaching learning. I am pleased to welcome you to this podcast where we visit a Brazilian classroom. There are over 60 million students enrolled in more than 200,000 schools in Brazil, making it the largest education system in Latin America. In recent decades, the country has made significant progress, particularly in primary and secondary education. In this episode, we'll examine the current state of Brazilian education as well as the challenges and progress that have been made. Furthermore, we'll examine some of the innovative ways in which these challenges have been addressed. from technologies and distance learning to community based education i welcome ms fernanda cochinho fernanda is an english teacher working for the education department of the federal district in brazil over the past decade she has taught english in public schools private language schools and undergraduate courses she is currently pursuing a phd in translation studies and literature thank you fernanda for joining me today Uh, thank you, Kargi. Uh, I thank you very much for the opportunity. It's really nice to talk a little bit about our experience in teaching here in Brazil. Let's get started. So, my first sure. question to you is: What influenced your decision to pursue a career in teaching and education? Well, uh, I can say that teaching was my first choice. You know, uh, I have always been into books, and I love the literature. Uh, but by the time I finished high school, uh, I thought about studying something related to sciences. However, to get into college here in Brazil, um, you have to choose your career in advance and take an entrance exam, and it can be very competitive in public schools. Um, so I decided to try languages and literature. Here, usually the course is a single course for both, uh, because it should be easier to pass. You know, uh, it has less candidates and requires a lower grade. Uh, but it was not like I wanted to be a teacher. Um, but uh, anyway, right after I got into college, I started teaching English, and it was a great experience. It was in a small local school. But uh, I don't know. A few months later, I got a job at a bank, and I stayed there for some good years until after I finished college. Should be a great job, <laughs> but I was really happy working there. And by the time I graduated, I decided to change careers. And the only other thing I was trained for was teaching English, right? Teaching general. I also, I can teach Portuguese too. Uh, but I had no real experience at the time, uh, so I saved some money and uh, went to Canada for a couple of months so I could get more confident about my English. And I also started my master's degree in literature, which allowed me to teach Portuguese and literature for a while. And eventually, I got this job you mentioned as an English teacher uh, at the educational department um, at the federal district in Brazil. About ten years ago, and I have been an English teacher since. You know, uh, it was really hard at the beginning, <laughs> but um, I have taken part in every continuing education course I could find. I also had the opportunity to get a couple of scholarships to study abroad. One of them was also um, partly uh, funded by Fulbright, and so it helped me a lot. you know with my speaking and also my teaching skills 
And right now, as you mentioned, I'm a PhD student uh, in literary translation studies, which I hope that can help me to pursue also a career as an English professor in the future. And well, although which was not my first choice uh, to be a teacher, I can say that I could never have chosen something better. You know, I really love what I do, despite all the challenges we have, especially here in Brazil, it can be really hard to teach. Uh, it's in, in, in public schools, it can be even harder, but I really love what I do. Great. So my next question is, can you describe a typical day at school? Well, uh, I work in a public school and for the public school department, so it can be a little uh, different. I guess from other private schools or even schools uh, in other countries. Uh, and specifically here in Brasilia, uh, we English teachers can work in two different environments. We can work for regular schools uh, from like from elementary to high school, uh, teaching English there for, you know, uh, multi-level groups, or we can also call at SEALs, which are uh, English uh, language centers, you know, that offer extra language classes to public stu school students. And we offer not just English, but also have Spanish and French, uh, even German and Japanese in some branches. So it's a really beautiful project. Uh, unfortunately, not so common around the country, but you know, it's, it's something really strong here. And well, I have worked in both systems and I work in the evenings since the beginning, you know, for public schools, which can be unusual for teachers, you know, from other places because the evening shift in Brazilian public schools uh, usually goes from 7 p.m. to 11 p.m. Uh, so it can be really late. Uh, I worked uh, this shift for a while, almost every day, this from 7 to 11 while I was working a regular school. And I can tell you that by the end of the night, we are pretty tired, both teachers and students. Uh, and nowadays I work at SEAL, that is this language center, and it's a little different. So we have two groups every night, uh, one hour and 15 minutes each group. So we teach until 9.40 p.m. But we still work until 11 p.m. because, you know, we get these extra hours. We are paid to prepare prepare classes. Uh, I don't know to for meetings. You know, check assignments and everything. So we are still at the school, and uh, well, this this is what teachers do in general here. Uh, right now, since last year, I'm in a coordinator position, so I'm also helping teachers. Uh, well, so I make sure everything's working at schools, help parents and students. And I also teach a lot because uh, we don't have on-call teachers. So uh, when a teacher is absent or sick, when we are short of a teacher, which is quite common in public schools, because, well, it's not a very attractive career and wages are low, so it's quite easy to be missing a teacher. And so I have to teach these classes whenever I can, you know, when they are English classes. Well, but so I can tell you this, like a typical day at this school where I work now, we arrive at the school a few minutes earlier, check if everything's working fine. 
uh, with teacher classes, which are supposed to be communicative and dynamic. So we are on our feet all night long. We have a 10 minute break between classes. And then after uh, the, the second uh, class, we do all this off stage work that is checking papers and assignments and everything. Okay. Could you describe the education system in Brazil and how it differs from other countries? Well, I believe that in some sense, our education system is quite similar to the ones in other countries, at least here in the American continent. Uh, well, besides early childhood education, which is optional, we have what we call basic education, which goes from elementary to high school. And this one is mandatory for all kids. So kids must start school when they are about six years old uh, at elementary school. And ideally, they will keep studying until they finish high school when they are about 17, 18 years old. Uh, well, I say ideally because we still have dropouts throughout the whole education system. And uh, so that's even why we still have classes in the evening shift, <laughs> you know, lots of them, because as students give up school, by the time they attempt to come back, they are older and working, so they need to study in the evenings. Um, so we still have elementary and high school classes happening in the evenings, so dropout students can go back and finish their studies, no matter how old they are. And this is something that I know that doesn't happen everywhere but here it doesn't matter if the students are older they can keep studying they can go back to school uh and they can be as old as six years old you know there's no age limit to go back to school here uh, to the public system especially and well sometimes there are no spots available they might be placed on a waiting list but they can go at any time and it includes our language center. You know, I have taught students are, um, you know, that were over 70 years old, which was really challenging, but it was really nice. Uh, well, as I told you that basic education is mandatory. So the state, the government is obliged to offer enough schools and spots so all kids can enroll. Unfortunately, it does not mean all of them will have the education they deserve. Uh, especially in public schools. Um, well, we know here, I mean, it's quite, it's it's common knowledge that many public schools in Brazil have a lot to improve. And this is an issue because most Brazilian students are studying public schools. So we have about 80% of uh, students, you know, kids in school age in Brazil studying in, in the public system. Most of them come from uh, low-income families of course, and the other 20% are in private schools, usually uh, richer families, and it increased inequality in our country, you know, uh, because these private schools tend to be better. Uh, for you to have an idea, uh, for example, uh, we do have at least one public university in every state in Brazil, uh, and they all are free of charge, you know, there are no charges at all. Uh, but as I mentioned before, you need to pass an entrance exam. And because the students in private schools usually have better education, 
most of them get into public universities uh, and get all the spots. <laughs> and even though their families can't afford a private university, you know, uh, and it happens because in general, most of the best universities in Brazil are public, which might seem weird because most public schools are not so good, but most public universities are the best. So this is something you still have to work. And just one more thing I think it's nice to mention that I know that is not common to every country, at least here around me, is that uh, here in Brazil, we have this pretty well-designed national curriculum, uh, which I find really advanced in, in some ideas. It still needs some work you know, and others, but it's a good, I think it's good to have this document, uh, this guide uh, for all schools in Brazil, uh, especially if you consider we have so many differences, you know, uh, inside the country, you know, so different regions, different access to education. Uh, well, we can have like fully equipped uh, private schools in, in large cities and we have schools with no electricity, you know, in some regions. So this curriculum, I think it's more beautiful on paper than in real life when teachers try to make uh, it happen. But I find it important that we have this guide that can show us something we can have as a model of what we want all students to learn in, a in your country, you know, no matter where they study. So it's at least a dream or something that we can achieve and we have something touchable, you know, tangible that we can follow. Okay. Uh, what are some successful teaching strategies that you use in the classroom? Well, uh, besides all the regular things we do, there's, you know, the thing that I, I like the most about teaching English is that we can teach anything we want while teaching English. Yes. So, well, uh, so that's why I really like to develop projects in which students can research and use the language to learn and share what they can learn, you know, in a variety of topics. Uh, well, I cannot do much uh, related to math or physics, for example, uh, but I think that we can really get into literature and arts and science. Uh, geography, sometimes history, and I like to help students to be hands-on. Uh, so there are a few examples of activities that I really like sharing. Uh, well, they are not like, it's not that I created them. Usually I got the inspiration from another teacher and maybe adapted something. But one thing that I try to do uh, is like acting a uh, short place especially with adults. Uh, once I had this group, uh, they were over 40 years old, all these students, and usually adults tend to be shy, you know, they don't like to be on the spot. But we found this very short adapted Shakespeare play, and my group really got into that, and they rehearsed, and they presented it to their classmates, and I can tell you they had a, bl a blast, I mean, they, they really enjoyed it. And it was a great oral practice, because they were talking not concerned, you know, about their production, and they were like, beginners. So I got really, this is something that works, although it can be a little hard work, but you can see they doing things. Uh, another kind of activity that I like to involve uh, history and maybe human rights. Uh, here in November, we celebrate Black People Conscious Day. So I usually like to 
you know, encourages students to research about civil rights in the USA, for example, and they can uh, think about these racial issues and they can create, create projects and present to their classmates to compare. So this is something uh, we can try. And there's one another, there's another type kind of activity that I like doing. And I think this one is important for me because this inspired my PhD is that we get some poems uh, from Brazilian poets and students translate them into English and then they compare to published versions, uh, versions of these poems. So they can see, you know, how a foreign understands our language, you know, and how we could translate this. Uh, so I like this kind of activity when students have like, you know, a, a project, something that uh, a product at the end. And uh, I like this because I, I, I think with them, we can see the importance of English language in their lives. I mean, I know they learn English because they want better jobs or because they want to watch TV shows. But I think that when we have this when we learn a language, we can connect to people, you know, and this allow us to go beyond our borders and to learn about other cultures and also present our cultures to others, you know, and, and students really get engaged with this kind of activity. So this is the kind of thing I like doing. So they, I'm absolutely sure they're very engaging activities and your students must be enjoying a lot. So how do you integrate technology and digital resources into your lessons? Well, uh, I'm lucky to work in a school with enough uh, resources that allow me to bring some technology to the classroom, but usually it's not uh, common in, in public schools. Well, in my school, we have internet connections, internet connection for the teacher. Uh, we have a projector, a computer in the classroom. Uh, so we can do some things, you know, I use any digital tool that the textbook, uh, the textbook provides um, some material that I design like PowerPoint presentations. Um, and every now and then I try to, to, to use something more interactive like Kahoot. Uh, but only when students have internet connection or when I still have some personal data, you know, that I can share from my cell phone because, you know, usually they do not have internet, internet connection. So it's kind of hard to, to do something in the classroom that they can do by themselves. What I also try to do is to separate them in groups. So sometimes one student uh, has connections so they can do some research, uh, you know, research something together. And well, and something that I try to do, I like to show my students tools they can use by themselves to study English outside the class also. So, you know, I'm, uh, I'm always trying to bring like good dic online dictionaries or um, uh, reliable YouTube channels and, and news uh, websites so they can search for things that can uh, keep studying outside the class because you know, there's something that they need some guidance and I think we can use technology to improve our learning and also to do something you know, more autonomously. So my last question to you, Fernanda is, is there any program or initiative in place in Brazil that supports underprivileged or marginalized students? Yes, there are some initiatives, but you know, again, I'm afraid they are, more beautiful on paper uh, than in real life uh, because you know unfortunately they do not always work 
you know, inequality is a huge problem in Brazil and it spreads all around, you know, and, and it kind of um, affects the way we can put those initiatives, those programs into practice. Besides that, <laughs> corruption is still a huge problem here. You know, uh, we are coming through hard times in all aspects uh, of our social and, and economical life. I think it's no secret, you know, that Brazil has been through a kind of, you know, bumpy road. Uh, and education was hit hard during this time, you know. Uh, I can give you like this, uh, this very crazy example. Uh, we had like not long ago, this is scandal involving uh, Minister of Education that was illegally charging small tolls in gold <laughs> in order to give them resources they were entitled by law. So, I mean, this is kind of surreal. This is something that unfortunately happens more often than we wish that this could happen. And it really makes it hard for those uh, policies to, you know, to really work. Uh, but anyway, you know, um, we we have these great initiatives, but we lack honest politicians and honest managers and <laughs> honest people in general to make them work. You know, and the pandemic increased all the issues we already had. You know, uh, so we had like uh, increasing number of dropout students. So you know, this this being really chaotic, and we really need those initiatives. But, you know, fortunately, it seems that we are still a democracy and we have a new government now. And I can only hope that we will see some improvements or at least uh, see that those programs we already have, they are working properly. And I can give you some examples of really nice initiatives that I want to see, you know, in progress. Uh, well, as I said before, is States, they, they state the government is obliged to provide basic education to all kids. So it allows underprivileged under kids to be in school somehow. <laughs> Sometimes not in the best situation, but they are in school. And besides that, uh, we have other programs that provide school materials, uh, textbooks in general, and food during school hours. And there is also this program to gradually increase the number of school hours. So they're going to study full time. That's the, the plan, you know, in the future, all schools should be full time, which, which is something essential for uh, low income families uh, because they do need kids to be in school so they can work. There is also another program that uh, is coming back now and that provides financial aid, financial aid to low-income families that keep their kids in school and vaccinated them, you know. So this is also important because these kids usually start working very early to help their families. So if they get some financial aid to study, it can replace the money these kids would bring home and allow them to go to school. Um, I think it's important because sometimes parents are not aware of how important it is to, to allow their kids to have proper education, you know. So it's a way of encouraging parents uh, who did not go to school uh, to, to give their kids the opportunity to, to do so, right? And there's one, one more program that I'd like to mention that we also have social and racial quotas in public universities which means that some of the spots available 
uh, in these universities are set aside for students who come from low-income families or from public schools or they're black or indigenous people. So we you know we can have this variety getting to public universities, which is something that can be a little hard until today. So these are some examples I can bring you. Uh, these policies are far from being enough and well applied around the country, but I believe they're important and I do have faith they will keep improving our students' lives and, you know, so we have to believe we can have this change in education. Thank you, Fernanda. And that's all for today's episode. Thank you for tuning in and joining us as we explore the many facets of education in Brazil. I'm your host, Kargi, and I hope that our discussion has been both informative and thought-provoking. Learning does not stop when we leave the classroom. It is something we can cultivate throughout our lives. Thank you again for listening to Text to Task Simplifying Education. And I look forward to bringing you more engaging discussions on education in the future.